You're listening to Podnosis, the pulse of the healthcare industry. I'm Ayla Ellison. Tel Aviv ranks among the world's largest tech hubs by some estimates. In 2022, startups based there reportedly raised about $7 billion in venture capital funding. Israel has often been referred to as a startup nation, and the country's tech region is nicknamed Silicon Wadi or Canyon after California's Silicon Valley. Hello Heart is a digital platform to help people manage their heart health. It is a U.S. company with offices in California, New York, and Israel. CEO Mayan Cohen lives in Tel Aviv and was on a plane to the annual health conference in Las Vegas when she heard about the October 7th attack by Hamas on Israel. In that moment, Cohen was unable to get her employees, some of whom were in the strike zone, to safety. She sat down with Anastasia Gliadkowskia to talk about what she did next and her strategy for leading Hello Heart through the crisis. Here they are. Hi, Mayan. It's so great to meet you. So tell me where you are right now. I'm currently in our Tel Aviv office. I'm the CEO of Hello Hard, which is a US-based company. We have about 200 employees and 80 of our team members are in Tel Aviv, our tech organization. Basically, the majority of it is in Tel Aviv. So I'm in the office. We have a bomb shelter in the office, so it's a safe place to be at. Mm-hmm. And I'm here now. Well, thank you so much for, for being here. So I just wanted to start with a brief overview of Hello Heart and your background. Just tell me a bit about why you're passionate about heart health and how you came to be involved in this space. Hello Heart is a digital therapeutics company. Our mission is to empower people to understand and improve their heart health. And we do that by uh, using an app and a heart monitor that helps you understand everything that happens inside your body. Because the, the problem with heart disease is that you can't see it until and you can't feel it until it's too late and you already have a heart attack or a stroke. So we allow people to connect their clinic, track all of their factors from there that are related to heart health, track everything that comes from the heart monitor, like blood pressure and pulse, understand it in a very, very easy way and improve it over time using AI-driven digital coaching that's anytime, anywhere for our users. The last thing is that we, we also help users catch risk in time by using our risk flags that the monitor can detect if something is is off and you should go see your doctor before things get bad. That's good to know. And just to be clear, do you do business outside of the US or is is most of your business in the US? All of our business is in the US. Our headquarters is in Silicon Valley in Menlo Park. And we have teams all over the US. We have another office in New York. And we sell mostly to self-insured employers, so very large employers. We also sell to health plans, Medicare Advantage programs, and we also work with PBMs as distribution partners. So tell me what it's like as a CEO and as a company to be based abroad and to be doing business in the US. I I would imagine that other than maybe the time zone difference, it's not regularly too complicated or logistically challenging. Yeah, I would say... Tel Aviv is a huge tech hub. Basically, our company is based in the U.S. I typically spend most of my time in Menlo Park. I'm I'm Israeli-American, and all of our commercial team is based in the U.S. 
But in Israel, we have a tech org. And actually, a lot of companies have tech orgs in, in Tel Aviv. It's the second largest tech hub outside of Silicon Valley, surprisingly. I'm surrounded here by offices of Meta, Amazon, Google, Tesla is thinking about opening an office here. We have Apple engineering centers in Israel. So most of the large tech companies have engineering teams in Tel Aviv because the talent market is incredible in Israel. And we kind of started that way. I think that was a huge advantage for me being an Israeli-American to have the tech org based in Israel where you can get incredible talent in data science, in product, in engineering, and to, of course, focus our business on the U.S. market, which is the largest healthcare market in the world. And heart disease is the number one cause of death in the U.S., and we can really move the needle and, and help a lot of people. It's interesting to hear some of those statistics and, and a lay of the land, like who you're surrounded by. So let's talk about what was happening leading up to October 7th and what's been happening since then for you guys. As I understand it, you were traveling to the health conference, right? When Hamas attacked Israel. Correct. So I was on a plane to Vegas. I was on my way to a tech conference called Health, and we were about to launch one of our biggest initiatives for this year. We started getting focused on women's heart health and women equality and equity around heart health because women die two times more of heart attacks versus men, which is, again, let that sink in for a moment. Women die two times more of heart attacks versus men. So I was on my way to health. We already have billboards. Everything is there. We have a booth. Everybody's super excited. And we launched our one of our biggest initiatives in the space, which was Women Heart Health Pledge to demand equality for women around heart disease and heart attacks and make sure the clinical teams are trained and we raise awareness to the symptoms. And the pledge wasn't just led by me. It was led by incredible people like Asia O'Neill, like Ariana Huffington, and I was so proud to be part of a group that leads something like that. And I'm, I'm very, very proud of it. And as I was flying there, I got a text message on the plane from my CTO saying, hey, open the news, Israel's under attack. And initially, I brushed it off because there's always some sort of noise in Israel. There's a lot of terror attacks that are executed by terrorists. We're used to rocket flying once, probably every couple of years, especially in Tel Aviv these things start. So I told her, yeah, I'll, I'll look later. I'm sure everything's fine. And she said, no, it's really bad. Open the news. And what I saw was astounding. I immediately checked in on my family that lives in Israel. I immediately checked in on my friends and the team. We started doing team check-ins one by one and tried to understand where everybody's at, making sure everybody's safe. And very quickly, we realized that we have three employees that are in the strike zone. And one of them was texting with us live as it happened. And Hamas basically started to take over small villages and small cities in Israel and basically going house by house, killing the people inside. The employee that was there told us that she locked herself in a shelter with her two kids. Her name is Ratem. She's from our HR team. It's somebody that I work with almost on a daily basis these days. And she recently even told me that she's pregnant and she was so excited for the baby to come. So she locked herself in a bomb shelter with her two kids for hours, and they were scared. They were really, really scared because they heard gunfire outside. They heard shouting and yelling, and she tried to keep them quiet so they won't draw attention and calm. So they hugged, and she got them to color, and one of her kids, in a very scary moment, took a sticker and put it on his arm, and he chose a sticker of a rocket. And he told her, don't worry, mom, the rocket's going to protect us. 
and th- that was that was there. I was on a plane, completely helpless. I couldn't even call anybody because I was on a plane, and we were all very nervous to see how this ends and and how can we get them out. And when Rotten was finally out, she realized that many of her neighbors, family members, friends were slaughtered in this attack. There were actually fourteen hundred civilians, Israelis, uh, and some soldiers that were slaughtered in this attack. And the worst part is that about 300 people were kidnapped into the Gaza Strip. You said you couldn't call anyone from the plane, of course. Did you have Wi-Fi while this was happening? You were texting your team on the plane? I did. I had Wi-Fi. We were texting and we were using WhatsApp to communicate with the team on site. And they went in and out. And we got like pieces of information at a time. At first, we realized that they're at risk. And then they told us, okay, we're in a bomb shelter. We're locking ourselves in. We realized that they're safe for now, but you don't know what's going to happen next. So this was a horrific situation. And I I felt completely helpless as a friend, as a leader, just being on a plane, unable to even call somebody, but knowing that all of this is happening. And you said that Israelis, people living in Israel and, and in Tel Aviv, they are used to these types of... Well, I should say they are used to forms of attacks or to threats of attacks. Had you ever planned for disaster or crisis management as a CEO? What sort of contingencies had you planned for in the past? So the level of contingency planning that we have is actually pretty robust, but it's, you know, it's the usual threats that Israelis live through. The first time I got into a bomb shelter, I was six. So we have a bomb shelter in the office. So in periods where there's rocket attacks on Tel Aviv from Hamas, we get into a bomb shelter and we work from a bomb shelter. It's weird, I know, but it's it works. And we're used to situations where terrorists invade Israel and, you know, explode themselves on a bus or shoot people in a bar. That happens. It's horrific, but it happens and it's part of life. So when that happens, we immediately use Slack and alert the team, hey, there's a terrorist unit in Tel Aviv. Please stay inside. Wait for them to be caught. This is something we've never planned for. This is the biggest Jewish massacre since the Holocaust. Nobody was prepared for this. I never went through training that's like that. And I have to say that as an Israeli, I'm 39. I've never been scared for my country. I've never been scared for my life at this level. Knowing that that civilians were targeted and thousands were massacred one by one with cruelty that's unparalleled. I think in the first couple of days, we were all in shock and just trying to get everybody to to align. I got the first flight out to Israel to be with my family and be with my team immediately. But we did start to immediately plan for contingency plan. We put out a team outside of the country to make sure that if there's any cyber threats, we can continue to operate. We were able to keep full business continuity throughout this crisis. And we did start to put together contingency plans, short-term and long-term, to make sure that we can keep operating and delivering no matter what. Yeah. And what did you do? What was the first thing that you did when you landed in Vegas for the health conference, having been through this ordeal on the plane. And when you landed, I would imagine you you probably didn't have much time. You kind of had to, to be present and to attend the conference and deliver the presentations you were there to deliver. So what was your thought process on the ground? What did you do? When I landed, I think I was in shock. And it was so surreal, you know, knowing that my team members are in immediate risk with terrorists across the hall. And people massacred left and right. And to just walk through, you know, 
a Vegas hotel with the slot machines and the, the lights and people drinking and having fun, it was so surreal and it was such a huge contradiction to how I felt inside that I couldn't even leave my room. I stayed for a few hours in my room, booked the first flight out, which was the next day, and just counted the minutes. And, and I realized that if I'm already there, I have to project business as usual as much as I can and do everything I can to, you know, the show must go on. So I did my panel and tried to do my best. I took a couple of meetings, canceled anything that wasn't necessary, and started building contingency plans with my team and took the first flight back to Tel Aviv. As soon as I landed, I immediately went and hugged my my son. I have a five-year-old. And from there, I basically took him, got from the airport, took my son and got to the office and started mobilizing the team because people were in complete shock and they were horrified. And after I consulted with a trauma expert, I realized that we have to keep them mobilized and have to keep them active or they'll completely freeze and sink into fear and trauma. Because the difference between anxiety and what happened is that anxiety is an, you know, an over-amplification of, of fear versus what's happening in reality. This wasn't anxiety. This was true fear. We knew that you know our team is at risk, our friends are at risk. So it was a very, very scary experience, but we immediately started mobilizing people and start to help. I would imagine that would be hard to convince people to come in and especially if they're not already living near the strike zone or near the office or they might feel safer somewhere else. Perhaps they, they already left the country. What was the response from your team when you told folks, hey, we should keep going and, and or maybe you didn't require people to come into the office? So the first thing we told everybody is that work is not important now. If you can work, let us know. If you have a family or you're very scared, it's not important in the next few days. Do what you need to do to be safe and feel safe first and foremost. But when work starts to lose meaning, you have because what's happening out there is so big and you're worried that you won't live, you won't have a country soon, you have to change the mindset of the team to help them understand that they can actually help and have control. So what we did is that we started giving people very clear tasks. So for example, our employee experience manager, instead of making sure that everybody gets the right swag package as they enroll in the company, was now in charge of making sure that our bomb shelter is fully equipped to to survive a bomb attack that's more severe than usual. So canned food, water, radios, like anything that we need in order to be there for a few days in case things get worse and we're, we're stuck in a shelter for a few days in a row. We started an volunteer center that was providing aid for all the displaced families to the refugees that that just left the strike zone. And also for our reservists, what happened is that Israel had an unprecedented reservist draft of people that were in the IDF 20 years ago and were now drafted. Basically, any soldier that Israel ever had, more or less, was drafted into the IDF. And these are, you know, my 35-year-old product managers and engineers that haven't been in the army for 20 years were just called to reserve. They don't have a duffel bag ready with, you know, protective gear and socks and underwear and, and raincoats to, to go to the field and, and protect the country. So we started to package and deliver packages to anybody that needed it, to the refugees that just left with nothing besides the pajamas that they were at when this happened, the strike zone to their loved ones that were next to them in the situation, to the reservists that were called to the field. So there were 
10 or 15 people in the company that just started to operate that aid center, which was amazing. And that brought back control, that brought back meaning to what they're doing. And the rest of the team was basically asked to pitch in for them. So the rest of the team that didn't necessarily want to participate in the aid center knew that they're covering for their team members that are now helping protect the country and help the refugees that just left the terror attack zone. And that brought back meaning for everyone. So we were able to not just keep business continuity, but also keep our team as much as possible mentally stable. If you just stop for a second and open social media, you're surrounded by videos of people you know that just went through it and fear takes over. So you have to continue to stay active. So by activating the team for this aid center and for special tasks to make sure that we can keep business continuity and and help them, the team, not just business-wise, but also emotionally-wise, felt a lot more in control. And I started to see people smile again. More people came into the office every day. We started eating together as a team and it started to feel normal again to some degree. It's so great that that could have a ripple effect, as you were saying, when one group is focused on the front lines and then the other people step in to support that group. It's this yeah, ripple effect of, of support and meaning. And you said that you had given your employees the option to take a few days and not prioritize work if they don't need to. Were there any disruptions to any of your business in the U.S.? The nice thing about tech organizations is they're flexible. We didn't have any disruption to our business. We kept full business continuity. We even sent one team to to Europe temporarily of SREs to make sure that if we have any cyber attacks or anything crazy happens, we always have business continuity for our users and for our clients. So no, we didn't have any business disruptions Engineering slowed down for a couple of weeks, like the tech org production dropped to about 50% or three weeks after I can already happily say that they're back to 80%, which is amazing. I'm very proud to say that Israelis deliver no matter what. And the fact that we were able to mobilize the team, get people back on track, cover for each other, really brought up a beautiful side of collaboration, of caring for each other as a team, and really being there for each other in the most scary moments of our life. And you said that tech companies have the advantage of being flexible. And I just wanted to dig into that a little bit more. Is that just a matter of having digital infrastructure that's, you know, air quotes, protected? Or what are the reasons that tech companies are maybe more adaptable than than those that are doing work on the ground? Tech companies are more adaptable because you can work remote. We have people with kids that don't have schools now because we're at war. So they can work from home and we're flexible with that. SRE teams, you know, can just put their laptop in a bag and move a country and continue to work from there to make sure that there's no business continuity risks. So I do think tech companies are more flexible than other companies on that regard. And I think also Israelis have a lot of resilience, a lot of resourcefulness to deal with scary situations. And and I think we do have the flexibility that one of the most beautiful things I saw is that the U.S. team members also helped cover for, for Israeli team members that were called to reserve or were just overwhelmed with the situation and paralyzed by fear. And in the U.S., I have Palestinian team members and Lebanese team members. And of course, there, there's a lot of issues of leading a team in such a situation, but to see everybody come together 
And my heart really goes out to all the victims of the horrific things that happened on all sides. Talking about these things as a team, caring for each other, reminding everyone and agreeing as a team that we all are here to stand for humanity and to show empathy to anybody that's hurt by situations like this and that we're all fighting terror, we're not fighting each other in any way, is, is, was a very, very big challenge. But I do think that also helped them covering for the Israeli team be a little bit more part of the situation and really understand what happened in the October 7 massacre. I'm glad that you brought that up because I, I was going to ask, leading such a diverse team, if there were moments of tension or disagreement. But like you said, it's sounds like it was the most effective thing to emphasize humanity and try to bring everybody together onto one side, you know, the human side versus some partisan or political stance. We're really all here to fight terror and to focus on humanity. And I do think there's a lot of ignorance and people take it to political situations or they take it to hate, which is the worst. And I think anti-Semitism is in the rise, which is very scary. Islamophobia is on the rise, which is very scary. And I think standing with humanity, standing with empathy and and collaboration is, is really the best way. And we're all fighting the same enemy, which is evil. Once we actually opened up a conversation and did a listening session together, everything became so easy. One of the most moving stories I heard from the team is one of our Lebanese-American team members shared that her son went to school in California and he he saw a Jewish kid getting bullied because he was Jewish and he protected him. And she started crying and I started crying. (laughs) And I don't cry easily, but I think we all need to remember what what's good and what's bad and good is people and good is protecting people. Bad is hate. And I think people miss that. Do you feel like any of your leadership or business priorities have changed since going through this? Is there anything that you like a different direction you want to take in the future or things you would do differently? Yeah, I would say our business remains our business. Our company empowers people to improve their heart health, to catch risk in time. We're all about living healthier, longer, happier lives for everyone. So nothing has changed around our mission. Nothing has changed around our business. We're continuing to focus on the business we focus on. On the tech org, we just created a lot more contingency plans. So if you know if things escalate, what do we do? How do we relocate our team? But I think what I saw in the Tel Aviv side is that they actually proved themselves above and beyond. They've shown resilience that I haven't even seen with most companies that went through COVID and their ability to bounce back and continue to produce. So I have no doubt that they'll continue to deliver, but we do need more contingency plans. This is a new threat we've never seen before. We are also working to protect our team in the US. Jewish people are attacked physically now. Star of David are drawn on people's houses. There's people getting beat up and bullied. It's it's really bad. So we now, in some cases, have to add security to to situations that we have in the U.S. and and I really hope we'll never get to use any of these contingency plans and, and things will just calm down and hate will just calm down. But besides contingency plans, I think we're going to continue to do what we do best, which is to empower people to to live a better and 
healthier and happier lives with healthy hearts. Thank you for listening to Podnosis. I'm Ayla Ellison. You can find out more about this topic in our show notes at FierceHealthcare.com. Look for podcasts. And don't forget to tune in every Wednesday morning to Podnosis, where healthcare is our beat.